Hello, and welcome to All Things Marketing and Education. My name is Ilana Leone, and I've devoted my career to helping education brands build their brand awareness and engagement. Each week, I sit down with educators, edtech entrepreneurs, and experts in educational marketing and community building. All of them will share their successes and failures using social media, inbound marketing or content marketing, and community building. I'm excited to guide you on your journey to transform your marketing efforts into something that provides consistent value and ultimately improves the lives of your audience. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of All Things Marketing and Education. This week, I am excited to be sitting down with William Jeffrey, aka Coach Jeffrey, on the Twitters and everywhere else, I think. Um, William is the principal at Columbia High School in Columbia Brazoria Independent School District in Texas. So we'll be talking to him a little bit about his role in the school in a leadership position now. But William is also one of those rare folks that have worked in the classroom, started out, you know, science teacher for all those science teachers listening. What's up? Um, he was a basketball coach and then he transferred over into the district too. So I find your journey fascinating, William. We'll get into it, but you were at the district as a digital learning specialist and a science coordinator. Now you're back in the school as a principal. So we're going to talk all about that. And for those of you educators that are like, oh, I want to do what he did. What are some tips? We'll get into all of that. Um, William is also a pro podcaster and I gotta be honest, I'm like, you're the expert here. I'm a little nervous. I'm just one that likes to talk to educators. Um, he hosts and produced not one, but two popular podcasts. Uh, one's called, I want to speak to the principal. And he also does a Flipboard EDU podcast too. So William is like all of the people on my show, really humble, inspiring, People gravitate towards him. He gets awards. And the latest awards he's he's gotten is a Microsoft Innovative Award, Microsoft Innovative Educator Award in 2020. And then he also got an award for being an outstanding educator in 2020. This is during the pandemic. Whoa. Um, from yeah. Corporate Visions Magazine. So I first met William <laughs> at San Antonio ISTE. Do you remember that? Like our first... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I think yeah. someone I was in a hall, someone said, you got to meet William, you got to meet Coach Jeffrey. And I think maybe it was like Refrans or something. And I, we started talking and we ended up at the same lunch with Shelly's family, right? Yes. Maybe we'll like post the picture in the show notes, but we have this yeah. like yeah. gaggle of educators. What is it like 20 educators and Shelly yeah. Terrell's um, family and they all live in um, San Antonio and they hosted us. And that was such a beautiful moment where it was this beautiful Mexican restaurant and we had mariachi bands and stuff and we all just got to know each other. But I remember my talk with you and the more I started learning about you, I'm like, you need to get your voice out more. You're doing some really cool things. We need to get you blogging. We need to, like at the time, podcasts weren't a big thing, but look at you now, you're on all the podcasts. So I I don't want to say that I, my claim to fame is getting you to do that. But I just remember that sticking with me, that conversation. And I'm just, I'm glad that your voice is out there 
and that you're helping so many people with your wisdom and from your different perspectives in all of the places in education. So we are going to be talking about the power of podcasting today. Really all things ed tech as those become very ubiquitous. I'm sure he's going to be dropping some tech stuff throughout it all. His experience really and his journey of of being in all these places in education and what it's taught him. So lots to talk about. Let's start by welcoming William Coach Jeffrey to the podcast. So excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you uh, taking the opportunity to interview me. And, and, you know, looking at someone like yourself, I'm like, man, that's an amazing thing. Um, you know, you're, you're on a podcast. You have your own podcast. You run your own company. Uh, I mean, I think you do amazing things. Um, you're a great connector. So just thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. It's a, it's a bit smoke and mirrors. I always feel like such an imposter. I'm all, all I want to do in this space is really elevate your all voices because, and I want our space to learn and listen as much as possible to the people that they're serving as, as good marketers should do. So William, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, I know it's probably hard to talk about yourself sometimes, but I'd love to start from the beginning of like, you know, you maybe in high school or college and saying, gosh, I want to be a teacher. And in your case, you were like, a, you became a science teacher. But like, how did you get into the world of education? <clears throat> well, believe it or not, I was a special education student. I did not learn to read until I was in the third grade. And I was illiterate, like the first beginning part of my elementary school. And um, come to find out I had dyslexia. I didn't know it. And I didn't get a, get a pass from my parent um, until it came on a Cosby show when Theo was dyslexic. There was an episode where Theo wasn't doing good in school. And um, I remember watching that episode and, and my parent, my mother and my grandmother was sitting there and they finally, <laughs> they finally got it. They was like, huh. so that's when I started to get a lot of um, extra help. So I was a special education student. I almost failed the fifth grade. I did go to college. I graduated from high school. I played basketball. It's pretty. I was not an NBA um, prospect, but in my mind, I thought I was. And I thought that I could play college basketball. And I, I tried to walk onto a team at Prairie View and um, it didn't work. And so I didn't I just know that my parent told me to go to college. So I didn't know what to major in. And so um, I saw this young lady who I thought was attractive and I, you know, stupid. I walked up to her trying to holler at her and she told me she was a biology pre-med major. And I said, me, too. And we were right in the orientation line. And so that's <laughs> that's how I chose my major. And I struggled uh, biology pre-med. I ended up dropping out of college twice. And um, I went back. I finally graduated. It took me a long time to go to finish college, probably about six, six years, maybe seven, um, if I'm being honest, to, you know, to finish my undergraduate degree, which I finished in biology pre-med. At that time, I was working in a pharmacy at Walgreens as a part-time job, learning to be a pharmacy technician, um, got really good at that. Uh, didn't know that dyslexia 
was actually a bonus um, because it allows me to be creative. Um, I was very good at my job. I learned the medicines very well. And I tried to go to pharmacy school. I took the MCAT. I didn't do good on the MCAT. Um, I took the pharmacy test. And at the same time, when I was working in um, a hospital, so I started off working at Walgreens. And then I, I transitioned to a pharmacy technician that was in the hospital and one of the busiest hospitals in Houston, Texas. Um, they were looking for a or a person with a degree to teach a night class for to adults to get into pharmacy technician. And so because I had the degree and my brother had encouraged me to go to graduate school, I had just started graduate school at that same time. Um, and so that's what happened. That's how I became a teacher. So I, I did adult education at a place called Remington College. I taught there for about two and a half years. And then from Remington College, I went and got a job in uh, the North Side High School, which is now called, it was Jeff Davis High School, but it's now North Side High School. Went to go work there as a assistant basketball coach, assistant football coach, and um, a physics teacher. And so that's what started my journey. I had great mentorship at that place. I worked there for nine years and I loved that place. Uh, my coworkers were amazing. And so they taught me how to teach. I, I learned, I had a, I was a horrible teacher. I thought I knew what I knew when I came from the college, but they really taught me how to um, work with students with low socioeconomic um, backgrounds. The average student at that particular time at Jeff Davis High School, which is now Northside High School, the average income was $29,000. And that was probably about like 15 years ago. So the students were very poor. Um, it was 98% Hispanic. I did not speak Spanish at all. Uh, it was great. It was just a great experience. And I learned how to teach. It was in the middle of Fifth Ward, which is one of the poorest areas in Houston, Texas. So we call it the hood. But uh, it's just I was embraced by the families. I was embraced by the um, faculty. Ended up becoming a varsity head basketball coach. Uh, from there, uh, I... Um, my principal, who was really pouring a lot of into me, a lot of mentoring, um, I was one of the first teachers to use technology in the classroom. As a matter of fact, I went and got all of the old computers and put them in my classroom. And they were trying to figure out, like, you're doing physics, you're doing science. How are you using technology in the classroom like this? So basically what happened from there is um, I started a trend in HISD. Um, I, I'm going to I'm going to toot my horn and say I was the first person to use technology at a high level in, in Houston Independent School District. I was using Google Docs when it was rightly. That's just how long I had done. I was a part of Google Buzz, the first part when that came out and then when they transitioned to uh, Google Plus and I was all on top of that. My class was on Google Buzz and on Google Plus. And if I'm really being honest, I could say that I probably helped to start Google Classroom if they really want to be honest, because nobody was really using it like that in the beginning. And then from there, I went to Fort Bend ISD to go work with the Hall of Fame basketball coach, because at that time, I thought I was going to be a uh, NBA coach. And I, I went to go work with a Hall of Fame coach, which was another amazing time of my life, because I meant that's my start of being mentored into leadership. And so working with the Hall of Fame coach, Ronnie Courtney, um, that taught me just just a different mindset on how to be a leader in a community, how to lead students in an, on another level and how to be a leader amongst my peers. And then from there, that's when my technology um, 
integration experience um, reached a new level. From there, I went to become a digital learning coach in Fort Bend ISD, which I had another group of amazing people. We called them Team Awesome. I still keep in touch with them today, and um, they mentor me as well. And so that's when I learned about presenting on national stages, present, presenting at TCEA, presenting at ISTE. Um, those things um, came about doing things that are viral, um, consulting with companies about, you know, different products is which is how I got introduced to Flipboard. Um, at that particular point, Flipboard wrote an article because I was using Flipboard in my classroom on, and, um, from there, um, I went to be a K-12 science coordinator for a district of about 28,000 students. And from there, I stayed there about two years and, uh, now I'm an assistant. Well, that was, and that was four years ago, and I was an assistant principal for three years at Columbia High School, home of the mighty, oh, home of the mighty Roughnecks. And <laughs> He's pointing uh, to his shirt for all of you that are, are just listening on audio. I got to represent, and um, now I'm the principal. So I'm great, and I'm, I'm there with another group of great people. I have great teachers who I love being a part of. I love working with them. I don't. I don't want them to ever say they work for me. We all work together to achieve a goal, and that is to um, help students become successful. And I have great mentorship, and my assistant superintendent Chris Miller, and my uh, superintendent Stephen Galloway. And I'm just lucky. I've been blessed to be around good people. So that's my career in a nutshell. And you said so many amazing things, but I wanted to start and say thank you for sharing your initial journey to education, especially because it's not, I think sometimes people think educators are born like they want to be a teacher. They talk about it in elementary school and it's this linear path. But sometimes it's messy and messy in a good way where we're just trying to find some self-discovery and we have some significant challenges and you had a lot of challenges. So I thank yeah. you for telling us and being vulnerable enough to talk about like the learning disabilities and the Cosby show and, and all of the things I'm just still processing. I think that that's really amazing. I What thing that stuck with me as you told the story was you had this confidence. And I love it. I love it. Like this confidence. I'm going to be in the MBA. I'm going to be an MBA coach. I'm going to, I was going to teach. And I was never born with that. Or maybe I just wasn't around a lot of people that fostered that in me. So I admire that. And when you got like said, oh, well, that didn't work out. You just readjusted and you learned. You didn't, you know, and I love that. <laughs> I love you're like, well, that didn't work out. So then, but I learned this and I went here. <laughs> you know, a lot, that is just ignorance. I mean, you know, and my ignorance is bliss. Like I feel that when I put my mind to something, I don't know what it takes in order to do it. And so when I run into the buzzsaw and it, I'm down to my, to the end and I know it's not going to work, well then I just get ignorant about something else and just start something new. So, you know, that's really how it all boils down to, I guess that confidence is just, you know, assuming that I can accomplish anything that I put my mind to until I run into like so much friction where it's time to change course. So, but, um, I, and I, I've been lucky to be with people who within every stage of where I've been is as I'm lucky to have the right mentorship 
to know when it's time to change course. And so I can't take all the credit. It's just that, you know, somebody saw something in me and said, yeah, you might want to look at it this way. And I think that's also important too. And in anybody's educational journey, whether you are a marketer or a salesperson or an ed tech consultant, or you mentoring teachers, you got to having people who can look at someone's abilities and steer them in a direction where they can be a lot more successful versus grinding there, bumping ahead against the wall. I think that's important. Yeah. And you know, this is the pro podcaster and you, you, you already went for it, but I was like, I keep hearing the term mentor <laughs> and you are lucky. You keep saying, you know, over here, I had this mentor and then I got mentored here and then I got mentored here. And it's so important. And for you, potentially, I don't know, you can ask me or tell me this is because you come from a team mindset, team sport mindset, maybe you are more open to even finding and identifying and welcoming it in mentors too, because you always, your entire journey, you talked about not just you, but the team around you, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. And then also too, you know, I know that what my deficits are, like I knew that early on I couldn't read. And so I had to do a lot of creative things, not knowing how to read. You know, I had to pretend like I was up to speed with everybody else. And, and you know, I remember um, when when the third grade, when it became when they started to test and it became apparent I, could, I was illiterate. And, you know, I had faked and faked and faked all the way up to that point. And then I was called to the carpet to make that change. And so when I got brought out of the classroom and I got no small group things, um, my teachers made sure that I knew what I needed to, to do and to ask for the help that I needed. And I think that early on like that, those lessons embedded kind of stuck with me. And as long as my, my parent too, like when my mother found out that I was not, cause my mother I think was a genius actually. And I, there, I think I have several family members who are geniuses. And so when my mother found out that I couldn't read, like it was a whole different approach to how learning happened in my house. And my mother and grandmother focused on learning my entire, while they were alive. That's, that's what they talked about. So you know, is that's something that was also fostered in my house. Like if you don't know the answer, it's okay. Ask, you know, and that's, that's, I think that's what happened. Yeah. And, and for the educators listening or, you know, a lot of you have sh potentially right now and you're listening, you might've shifted into a new grade level, a new school. You might be thinking of alternate career paths within education. We are talking to a man that went through lots of them and really, I don't think you said, hey, I'm going to be a principal one day. Here's a here's what it happens. It's just really kind of wayfinding. And it's yeah. never too late to start something. And, you know, please, I hope you find, you know, Coach Jeffrey's story inspiring because it inspires me of just just going with the flow, but in a way learning as much as possible. And if you have that attitude, I feel like you grab like you almost like we're this gravitational pull to awesome people. Cause you're talking about all these people, awesome people in your life. Right. That's why I started my podcast because I felt that um, with the people who I've been able to come in contact with, like you, Shelly Terrell, Dr. Sarah Thomas, um, Dr. Will, all these amazing, and I don't really know Dr. Will, but Brian Romero Smith, uh, Valerie Lewis, there's just so many talented educators who I've had conversations with, Rafraz Davis, just who are mentoring mindset of people that I felt that people 
people need to know, like, I needed to record these conversations of excellence and not that it was excellence on my part, but the, just the intellectual knowledge that these people have and they were about educating kids. And so that's something that I'm also very passionate about because I was a special education student and it took someone with passion to get me to, um, to even learn how to be literate. And so uh, that's just something that I've always gravitated towards. So getting a little specific in your journey, when you were in the classroom, in the school, it seems like it was more of mentors helping you transition out. But there's a lot of educators in the classroom that are kind of thinking about like, how, how do I dip my toe in the water outside? Whether, whether it be like a, a tech integration role at the school or maybe going district like you did. Like what were those things you were weighing about how you made that choice? Well, one of the things that I learned about when I was with Ronnie Courtney was he was a Hall of Fame basketball coach and he had mentored a lot of different NBA players. He had coached so many NBA players. We had all kind of coaches coming to, coming to our school from all over the country, these major basketball programs. And so as I watched him and as he gave me leadership roles, we would talk and he would say, hey, man, you need to become an expert in your field. Like, it doesn't matter what you do. You're good in the technology. And I know that you like basketball, but, you know, Jeffrey, you might want to take a look at what that looks like. You need to fill out the role and become an expert. And so he would push and 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 he would talk. And I just loved his leadership style. I just thought he was just one of the most engaging um, nuts and bolts. He knew about basketball. He forgot more about basketball than I ever knew. And so and he but he encouraged us to become an expert and coaching with him let me know that I don't think that I would be as successful as a basketball coach um, as he would. And I was a pretty decent basketball coach, but that, I mean, coaching against guys like that, that lets me know that I had a lot more to learn. And so where was my gifts? And so that was another thing that he used to, you know, where are you gifted in? And if you're gifted in, and that's the thing that God put inside of your heart. So expand that. And so those are the talks he would, those mentoring talks is what he would have for me. And, and so my mindset was once I grew out of my, once I felt I filled my box it was time to go to the next level. And so that was an encouragement of the people who I work with. I know as a leader currently right now, I am trying to mentor teachers who are currently filled out their roles to as teachers. And so one of the mindsets that they got is like, once you become an expert teacher that you shouldn't move on, but you should, because anytime you grow anything, when it outgrows its base, or outgrows its pot, you have plants behind you. You have to repot those and plant those in a new place. And so when you have filled your environment, then you make room for somebody else. And so I think as a leader, it's important to look at the skills that people have and to also be a gardener, to help them to get to places where they can bloom. Okay. And, and also too, in that same set, in that same mindset, my, my, my mentality um, about leadership and about teachers going from one place to the next is that inside of every seed is a forest and in the right conditions, that seed is going to grow into a tree and that tree is going to produce fruit and that fruit is going to produce a tree and that tree is going to produce more trees and fruits. And so the issue is if people aren't 
in the right environment, then they become negative. They, they, they die. And so basically what we want to do is you need to move. You need to move in order to grow. Yes. And um, I'm part of a education community called the Nourish Teachers. And there's so many educators posting there sometimes about like, hey, I'm in this environment, but I love my kids and I love my teachers, but I get yelled at a lot or it's a toxic environment. And I just pause and say, you need to leave. You're yeah. not you're not able to, in your words, become that like forest, yeah. right? Yeah. You're, you're stuck potentially as just one tree. Um, yeah. And it's it's so it's scary. I can't imagine like you seem to, to go in just like bullish and in, in a good way and just be like, I'm doing this. But for me, yeah. I get a little scared. It's a new place, a new environment. How like, but that's the right thing to be able to fully be that expert like you were talking about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Once you've got that knowledge and your expertise and you can't grow anymore, then you look to give other people opportunities to grow past you, past you. So if you're in the place where you feel you are doing the most work, then now that becomes your responsibility to put new people in, in the environments where or create the environment where people can grow. Yes. And that's like a, a mic drop moment right there. I was like, gosh, I need to do that. <laughs> we, we all need to learn from you. So let, let's dive into some ed tech stuff. Um, sure. I know that you talked about how you brought a lot of the ed tech stuff to the schools and districts, and you just are, are obviously really passionate about ed tech and using it in the right way to facilitate learning in the classroom. But, you know, in your different roles as a teacher in the district and then now as a principal, like how, how do you determine what tech to use? Like what are the things you look for and what are the things you're like, nope, not using that product? <laughs> Most definitely. I look at, first of all, it's pedagogy. And as we all know that every tech tool doesn't fit every situation and um, and what's most important in any type of um, educational format is the relationship between the learner and the person who has the knowledge. And so the issue is whatever you can do to increase feedback where that learner and that teacher can exchange that basic principle of knowledge exchange between feedback and growth and feedback and growth. That's what tools need to be incorporated into a um, pedagogical cycle where students are being successful. And so um, just certain frameworks that come to mind, you know, the 5D model, making sure that happens, blended learning, uh, making sure that that happens where students are given space and choice and teachers are given, um, you know, opportunities where students can, you know, show knowledge in various ways using creativity. So it's very basic. Um, these these things that have always been around with good teachers, you know, allowing students the ability to talk in class, allowing students to show their work, um, allowing students to be creative, allowing students to have choice over um, how they present it. And so with technology, that's what I'm looking at. Like, how does it fit in a pedagogical process? How does it allow the teacher to be the um, 
the facilitator and not get into the way of the exchange of instruction and learning. And then also too, what ways does it give the student to give a glimpse into their future? You know, how does this, how would this piece of technology and um, be a part of their future? And can they, can this be something that is beneficial to the learning process and, and, and it will incorporate students to want to consume more knowledge. Yeah, I mean, you said a lot of things. <laughs> and I think like I almost, in, in the marketer in me is like, I can make a checklist off of this and this will be awesome <laughs> for people. But I'm just going to list a couple. You said like, you know, blended learning, making sure that learning outcomes are fully supported. So we're not just like attracting to bells and whistles. We yeah. had another guest on our show, Lisa Heifel, and she talked about don't, don't just have them do the technology too. Like go deeper and actually respond to it. Like yeah. you ask yeah. them to put out something look at it, <laughs> incorporate it into your teaching too. But that yeah. shift for students becoming creators, voice and choice. So you said a lot of good things. Um, and I, I think that for both either teachers, principals, or ed tech professionals, if you like, listen and maybe rewind that part of like, what are the considerations that educators really look at with this vast sea of technology? Are, yeah. are there specific tools that, you know, you're like, these ones are really great for this, or these are the ones I generally say yes to, or are there red flags too? If you're like, these are the tools I would not, not, not naming the tools, but like yeah. the characteristics of like, I just don't use tools that do this. So it's very basic for me. Again, I'm looking at things that will enhance the exchange between learning and teaching, teaching and learning. And so, um, and that's why I'm, it's a good time for me to throw in Flipboard. Flipboard, for, to me, is a Swiss Army knife. Now, I don't get paid by Flipboard. I've never gotten paid by Flipboard, actually. Um, it's just something that I used in my classroom accidentally. I stole it from another teacher. And so what this teacher was doing, this chemistry teacher, name was Lisa Foyle, when I worked at Fort Bend, she would put these magazines together for her students and to have them, after they finished their work, they would go to these magazines uh, that she would create on Flipboard and they would do some research and then they write a synopsis of what they read. And so I was able to use that, but then also add other skills into that. So things that allow multimodal processing for students. So anything that is multimodal where students can read, they can talk about it, they could um, write about it, they can create something from it. Those are the things that I would say are high yield for me. Um, anything that is passive that students like, um, like low level learning as far as like a video or something that is low level, um, you know, just something where students are just not necessarily creating, but just just might be consuming, but consuming in a way that they can do it offline. I mean, is you know, uh, those are the tools that I probably will stay away from things like that. But um, there's just some I'm excited about, you know, some of the ways that people are using technology, because some of the things that I never would have conjoined, uh, you know, put together, people are using. Like, I know I spoke to someone on my show. Um, her name is Bia Valley. She's using Clubhouse to pr have people practice their English. 
um, from all over the world. And then they make these Flipboard magazines and talk about those Flipboard magazines on Clubhouse. I thought that was amazing, you know, because Clubhouse, you go there and a lot of people are trying to sell you stuff. And sometimes, you know, it's the weirdest conversations. But I found that class very fascinating. It's just that's just one example. And she's using she's doing that with adults. So, you know, just things like that, I think I find fascinating. Yeah. And it's just like you kind of give people their own voice and choice, like their digital toolbox to say, do this. And, you know, that educator was like, all right, let's throw in some audio. Let's throw in some free audio tools like Clubhouse. I love it. Um, Let's I mean, you mentioned a little bit about your podcast and I'd love to be able to talk to you about your journey into podcasting like professionally as an educator that has a couple of shows but but also like how how have you seen it incorporated in the classroom with students and student learning and how'd you get there and all that fun stuff you mind let's let's get into all things podcasting (laughs) so initial my first initial um um, introduction to podcasting was through a lady by the name of Rochelle Wooten who worked in Fort Bend. She wrote a book on podcasting and I had been following up on it since about 2008. I always wanted to do it, but I never had the gumption to do it. And so Rochelle had wrote this book and she was saying, Hey man, you just might as well go ahead and do it. And then I met um, Rafaz Davis and Rafaz was like, listen, you know, you need to you know, you need to get your voice out there. You need to just do it. So I had two just do it. And then I met you and you was like, hey, man, you know, you need to just do it. So it was not too long after I met had those three just do it's that I just went to my boss and I was like, or actually another mentor of mine. I was like, let's do a podcast. And I'm thinking about doing it. And I just don't have a name for it. He said, let's call it. I want to speak to the principal because he was a former principal and now a truancy officer. And I was supporting principals at that time. And he was like, okay, let's do this. And so we did it. The first episode um, I had, me and another coworker of mine and we did it and I loved it. Just, you know, just recording the conversation. And so I thought, and, you know, I, I, I had a lot of trial and errors, just, you know, trying to figure out what's my niche. Um, then I ended up doing it by myself. And um, was, so that the podcast of, I want to speak to the principal was kind of like on hold. But how I got to my current podcast was during the pandemic. The pandemic had just started. And I told you that I I was familiar with Flipboard. I used to go there for resources. And when I got there uh, during the pandemic, like right right when the pandemic started, I was like, uh, I'm looking to um, look for resources, but I can't find it. I want to share it out. I don't see a lot of the educational resources that I used used to have. And they were like, well, you know, we were thinking about starting up our education um, part of it again because uh, we were doing this recipe walks where people would go and do these tastings around San Francisco. And um, because of the pandemic, they couldn't do it anymore. And so they were looking for something else. And it just so happens that I pitched them, you know, hey, can I do a can I do a uh, podcast and then I need to use your colors and then I need to use your logo and then I need to, uh, you know, can I do that? And, you know, can I can I write some information and then we all post it on there for teachers? And they was like, sure. 
And that's how that podcast came about. And now I'm like 75, 76 episodes in. And, you know, that was a huge blessing that I was able to work hand in hand, almost in a symbiotic relationship with Flipboard and the people that's there. And so that's how I started podcasting. Yeah. And for educators listening too, is sometimes podcasts can sound quite scary, but what we're really talking about is a way to connect and reflect. And podcasting is a way to do that. And if you decide to go that route, don't put this big thing on your head. Like I got to have downloads and that's got to be perfect. And I have to have this intro. Like that's what stopped me. I'm sure that's what stopped, stopped coach in the beginning too. But like, you just go and you say, I'm doing this to learn or I'm doing this for X and don't care about anything else. And yeah. it all come. But I have learned an incredible amount connecting and learning and, sh and what you said, sharing it out. Like that's how I initially used Twitter because I felt selfish not sharing things out that I was privy to be a part of. I was privileged to be in, an, in a role that I could see educators across the U.S. So what are you doing? I just challenge educators on this call that you think needs to be shared out and help out the world. And how can you use anything? It could be podcasting. It could be blogging. It could be voice notes to yourself. But reflect, too, on your practice and learn and connect. Yeah, I agree. And that's a part of that, becoming an expert in your field. Become an expert at what you like doing and then share with other experts, get other people's perspectives. And that's all a podcast is, is a re recorded conversation, um, you know, and then look for a mentor. Find somebody who may know a little bit more about you in that particular area if 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 you really want to hone in your skill and if you want to sharpen a saw in that way. I think that's a really good way to do it. Yes. And I do want to mention that you do have that podcast planner for students too, right? That people can feel good. Like he, he yes, literally yes. got so into podcasting here. He created a planner for students to do it in their classroom. And it's like these really cool templates that they can download. Yes. So I do have a podcast planner for students and teachers. Uh, I, that was the, that was my first independent type printing situation so that's something that i'm learning on too you know that was just one of those optics to put it out there and see what happens and i quickly learned uh, the the amazon copy your book situation so you know I, i'm i'm planning a new way to uh, get my books out there but uh it's a, that's a great learning experience you know to say that i've published those two well actually i published three books um i've been a part of publishing three different books. So that's good. I can say I'm an author. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. <laughs> well, at this time, we're kind of, when this podcast will launch, it will be at the thick school, kind of towards the tail end. And I know that you have that past history as a basketball coach. And I'm wondering if you can kind of give them a little bit of a pep talk, you know, like well, this is the time where there's a lot of, I think someone put it to me like, anxious anticipation when they go in there's anxiety there's past traumas there's triggers there's all sorts of things being thrown at them and they probably had a month maybe depending on whether school district launches their school but how did they navigate how how, how can you help them coach <laughs> here's what i would tell you if i was coaching you i would tell you that if you are not having fun you need to find something else to do if you're not having fun, 
with the kids that you are leading, you need to find something else to do because these kids are dependent on you. And not only are the kids dependent on you, you are dependent on you. And that joy and that happiness comes from what you already have inside of you. Because remember, inside of every seed is a forest. And the only way that that seed can grow into a forest is if it's in the right environment. Make sure you take care of yourself. Make sure you collaborate, communicate, so that your education will be powerful. I believe in you. And if there's one thing that you can do to change your life, it is to go in with a positive attitude and to find joy in children. Oh, give me some goosebumps. And I I love how you talk about it. Really, it is it is finding your joy. And when you find your joy, you become this like joy bubble. Right. (laughs) And you foster joy in others. And you become that mentor that you were talking about that you were so lucky to find in your life. Yeah, I've been very blessed to just be around people who like what they do and just help me to like what I do. And that's that's and you know, I was talking to Mandy Froelich uh, and we were talking. She's telling me about mirror neurons. And, and so and we were talking about negativity. And so what the issue is, is that people who are really negative is that they have these mirror. We all have mirror neurons. And so basically they're trying to fit in. And so it works the same way with positivity. It's the reason why we watch sports. It's the reason why people coach because you go to the people in the in the and the stands can't play the sport, but there's so much into it is because of their, they're playing the game with the people that's on the court. So have that same mindset with children, be the, 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 the excitement and, and the joy when students learn something new and that will invigorate you learn something new yourself, you know, t- test yourself, you know, become a, becoming an expert is, is hard and fun, you know, and for those of us who like learning, it's hard and fun and it's good and it's, it's, it's good. It's life changing. Oh, there's a emergency vehicle coming through here. So I just, my mic is good, but I don't think it's that good. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, one of the things when you were talking, it reminded me of, I find mentors, it's just be, being a marketer, I find mentors in the marketing space at times. And Gary Vee is, is, is somebody I, I do look up for, for inspiration. He's this, if you look at him on all the socials, he's, he's the first on things. He's, he's talking in really in a blunt way, but one blunt thing he said very much mirrors what you said is that be an expert. You know, um, find one thing. And if you're doing like, I don't care if it's paid marketing ads, like go in and take all the Facebook courses. Like there's so much things free online is like, there's no excuse not to just dive in, be, be that expert that you can be, and then start consistently connecting with other experts, getting better and better and better. And that just reminded me of that. I know that there's lots of people that talk about it. There's that 10,000 hour thing about really jumping in and becoming that expert. But thank you for reminding me of that because it we get lost. We get lost in the shuffle of, of work and that well, we've got to do so many things. And if educators could just actually teach and not be bothered by all of the, like, excuse yeah. my language, crap all around them that they have to deal with, right? Um, yeah. 
maybe they wouldn't lose sight as much because our system isn't really designed for them to really fully own and be an expert. But it sounds like you were in systems that did support that. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I'm also I have my own I have my own barriers that I have to fight as a principal. You know, teaching being in a place where students are in poverty and some areas is hard. You know, and you go to work and you try to fix fit the needs of people, but when you love something, okay, that is the passion that you need in order to get you through the tough times. It's the love of something, and so that love only comes when you feed it. You have to feed it. And that by feeding it, you may not be some teachers don't need to be in a classroom. Some principals don't need to be principals of schools. If you are not, if you don't love what you're doing, if you don't have love for it, if you can't find that love for it. And I'm talking about your job, not not relationships with people, but I'm talking about your job. It's not set in stone that that's how you have to make your money. You can make your money doing what you love. And that's what I think teachers have to remember is that make your money where you love to make money, what you love to do. And a bit of a transition. I was going to ask you this question, but you just answer it. So you're going to have to ask, answer another <laughs> to this one. But we always ask all of our guests, especially in education, there's so many challenging times. I can't imagine all the challenging times you've gone through, but currently as a principal in a high poverty district, how do you? Well, I shouldn't say. I shouldn't say my district is high poverty. Okay. I shouldn't say that uh, in a in previous high poverty districts. Currently not. Okay, yeah. but when when you are feeling just drained, you know, you have those teachers, you have the students that just pull at your heartstrings. I can't imagine every day how beyond loving what you do, because you love is something that guides you and obviously keeps refueling you what are the other things you do to get you focused put that pep in your step get you to do those liners across the basketball court <laughs> well you know i i'm a i am a believer number one and so i have to go to my source on a daily basis to make sure that I'm filled up enough so that I can get through throughout the day. And as I drain and, and, you know, fill pots and as I have my pot filled, I just try to make sure that I'm doing what a believer should do and walking in that right way. Um, spending time with my family, uh, you know, my wife is an educator. I got my, my kids are both doing things and finding joy in what they do. Um, and then there's times where I need time to myself. And so that's also important too. I'm just, you know, spending time with myself, making sure that my battery is charged, getting, going to bed on time, which is something I'm struggling with now. That's something that I really need to do better is get in the bed and get up. <laughs> getting like, like I, I know I need to get in the bed and then get up. Also too, managing out time is just writing down thoughts one of my mentors, Dr. Michael Milstead, told me to get a journal and um, just journal my thoughts. And the journaling is, is, was also very peaceful for me. It also helps encourage me, too, because when I have bad days and I journal the things that I do and I go back to look at how I got through those situations, it's, it's motivating. So um, that's, those are some ways in which I try to get through tough times. Really good ways. So I, I hope those of you listening find inspiration and can find one of the things, you know, whether it be the inspiration that William was talking about or really 
all of the things. And from what I take away from this is you have a beautiful mindset and you have lots of challenges in education. There are insurmountable challenges, but it's really navigating all those challenges with joy. And, and I, I thank you for that gift because it's, it, it's, it's a beautiful way to look at life. And when you do that, people will gravitate towards you. So just to end this part of it, I know that people are like, I want to, I want to hear more of this man. And he now has podcasts I can listen to. He has a website, I'm sure. Are there things and ways that people can get in touch with you? Yes. You can find me on social media, all the way at coach Jeffrey, J E F F E R Y. And um, a podcast that's currently is the Flipboard EDU podcast. I love that uh, process. I'm still going through that. And I might revive the, um, I want to speak to the principal because I, my mentor, Dr. Michael Milstead, is so busy, uh, you know. He's doing a whole bunch of stuff. So, but I, I like him as a co-host. And so, uh, but those are the ways you can get in touch with me. And you can also email me, um, William Jeffrey five at gmail.com. If you want to talk. Awesome. Well, great. Thank you all for listening. Um, we have some show notes. So there are a lot of resources that we talked about with coach here. So you can access this episode's show notes at leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash 27. It's only our 27th episode and I got like three times as many to go, but we're all just having fun in the journey, right? So that's yes, yes. Uh, leoneconsultinggroup.com backslash 27. And Thank you all for listening. If you are finding these episodes valuable, we do appreciate reviews. It really helps us get the word out to people that need to hear these beautiful messages. So we will see you all next time on all things marketing and education. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. If you liked what you heard and want to dive deeper, you can visit Leone Consulting Group dot com backslash podcasts for all show notes links and freebies mentioned in each episode and we always love friends so please connect with us on twitter at leone group if you enjoyed today's show go ahead and click the subscribe button to be the first one notified when our next episode is released we'll see you next week on all things marketing and education